Hi everyone and welcome to Colour Fit Chat. This week I'm absolutely delighted to have nutritionist Kelly Hammond on the show. Kelly first came to my attention as part of the Fuel for the Work Required team from Liverpool John Moores that has been so instrumental in shaping modern performance nutrition. Her PhD focused on adaptive training responses to endurance training with an important focus on discerning between carbohydrate restriction and overall energy availability. Kelly is now very much in demand. She lectures in sports nutrition at Salford University and works as a performance nutrition consultant for the EIS with British Skeleton, Hampshire Cricket and has worked for several years as part of the incredible performance team at High Fly in Southampton Football Club. In the show, Kelly talks about her PhD work regarding optimising practice for both maximising endurance training responses while keeping our athletes as healthy as possible. It's advice that certainly influenced my own practices and I'm sure you'll find it beneficial too. Enjoy the show. So as performance nutritionists, we want to implement strategies within an athlete's training programme that will help to firstly minimise any injury and illness risk, so maximise the time spent training, and secondly, to help facilitate the adaptive responses to each individual training session, so that each session is as effective as it can be. And so if we look specifically at endurance-based training adaptations, we know that a goal of training for these athletes is to increase the oxidative adaptations within the muscle. So things like increasing the number of mitochondria or increasing the capacity to oxidize fat as a fuel source, which will then ultimately lead to an increase in exercise capacity and permit them to exercise at higher intensities for longer periods of time. Um, and we know that these adaptations to training are brought about by increased um, enzyme activity and cell signaling within the muscle. and now with sort of the molecular physiology techniques that are available, we can measure components of these cell signaling pathways as markers of our adaptation to training. And nutrition-wise, although traditional guidelines advise diets that are high in daily carbohydrate intake for endurance-based athletes, it's now becoming um, more well-documented that actually restricting carbohydrate intake around um, training increases the cell signaling and the gene expression, which is associated with some of these increased adaptive responses that we see to training. So it may actually be more beneficial to restrict carbohydrate intake around training sessions rather than promote high carbohydrate availability all of the time. And this has kind of led to the train load concept where Carbohydrate can be restricted around training in a number of ways. So for example, fasted training or training twice per day so that the second training session is performed with low carbohydrate availability or restricting carbohydrate during recovery or something like the sleep low and train low method. And a lot of the studies that have kind of looked at this have used experimental designs where the carbohydrate restriction used is actually accompanied by an overall energy restriction. So it has been a bit unclear as to whether the training adaptations that we see in response to sort of train low are brought about by overall carbohydrate restriction or actually is it the restriction in energy availability or if it's a combination of the two. And it's important because it's likely that a lot of endurance athletes actually probably train in an energy restricted or a carbohydrate restricted state anyway, just through 
default due to the demands of their training programs. So although carbohydrate restriction and or energy restriction might be beneficial in terms of some of the muscle adaptive responses to endurance training, there are also some negatives that are associated with training in this way. So for example, um, some of the studies have looked at this have observed reduced training intensities which then could have the potential to lead to a detraining effect. Um, many of the potential negatives are also associated with the red syndrome which I know is something that Carl has spoken about previously um, but a key one of these in terms of injury risk is the effect that both carbohydrate and energy restriction might have on bone turnover. And so for one of my PhD studies, I looked at the effects of restricting both carbohydrate availability and overall energy availability um, in the post-exercise period on both the muscle adaptive responses to endurance training in order to compare between carbohydrate restriction and energy restriction on these responses, but also looked at some of the markers of bone metabolism in response to training of this way. Um, and this was done as an acute dietary manipulation over a 24-hour period um, using a twice-per-day training model with a high-intensity session performed in the morning and then the same again in the afternoon um, under the different dietary conditions to look at the differences between carbohydrate restriction or overall energy restriction on the muscle adaptive responses and on some of the bone turnover markers. So when looking at bone turnover specifically in response to repeated exercise bouts, it appears that consuming carbohydrate before, during and after a second session minimises bone breakdown and that this is something that occurs independently of overall energy availability. So you'll still see increased bone breakdown following repeated bouts of high intensity exercise when energy availability is higher if the carbohydrate is restricted. So this highlights that in practice, carbohydrate intake is required rather than high energy intake around training sessions in order to promote optimal bone health. Um, and this is also seen acutely after one day of training in this way. So you see these negative responses in bone turnover um, after carbohydrate is restricted just after a 24 hour period of training in this way. So if you think in terms of long term effects, training this type may have a potential to weaken the bone, for example, and make athletes more prone to things like stress fractures. Um, and it also appears that it's more beneficial um, when carbohydrate is taken on immediately following um, a training session rather than delaying this intake. When looking at sort of the muscle adaptive responses, it see, does seem that it is muscle glycogen content that's important here and that there's a potential muscle glycogen threshold that needs to be surpassed in order to further increase the adaptive responses that are seen following training. Um, and that if glycogen concentrations are maintained above this threshold during the recovery phase, you don't see the increased cell signaling that's associated with endurance training adaptations, um, even when carbohydrate and energy are restricted. 
So in terms of maximising train adaptation while minimising the negative impact on bone turnover in practice, um, the most important thing to consider here is probably periodising that carbohydrate intake um, on a day-to-day -day basis. And here you can use the sort of the fuel for the work required concept. So higher intensity or more harder training sessions should be fueled with carbohydrate and carbohydrates should be given during recovery here, particularly if recovery time between training sessions is short. Um, this will then allow for those higher intensity um, to be maintained during the sessions and minimise any detraining effects, but also this should minimise any negative effects on bone turnover. And then carbohydrate or energy can then be restricted around those lower intensity sessions to still allow for periods of train low to occur for increasing those muscle adaptive responses to sessions. So it's important to consider when the higher risk um, training periods within a season will be, so those that may contain higher volume or more intense sessions. Once these have been identified, perhaps avoid putting any train low type sessions in here as this is where risks are greater and athletes may be more susceptible to injury. And carbohydrate intake should be prioritised here during these higher risk periods, particularly if recovery time is short between training sessions or when repeated high intensity bouts are being performed on the same day as is common practice for a lot of elite endurance athletes. And Athlete feedback tends to favour those morning fasted sessions when incorporating train low. Um, so this type of session could be used, for example, following sleep low in order to still allow for low levels of muscle glycogen and those increased adaptive responses to occur. So thanks to Kelly there for her insights. Training low strategies are beneficial because they allow an enhanced endurance training effect from a relatively low training load. You get more bang for your buck, an enhanced fat burning response, and you can follow polarised training strategies that are popular in elite endurance sports. Morning fasted moderate intensity sessions appear to be the most easily adapted strategy among the different methodology of training low. However, Kelly's work highlights that we should predominantly only use training low strategies for low to moderate intensity sessions or periods as low carb availability can negatively affect bone health, adaptive hormone profiles and our immunity. Sports that require high intensity efforts and carry injury risk via complex movement patterns also need to be carefully considered for low training strategies. Periodizing carbs can still be utilised based on training loads, which can help you with calorie balance, metabolic flexibility, and provide a greater focus on health when required. So thanks again to Kelly for the show. The full show can be seen on the Cluffit YouTube and podcast, and I'll hopefully see you next week.